being ever mindful of the privilege, the honor it is to stand before you with God's word between us and acknowledging my own unworthiness to do so with my most ardent prayer being that it would be God's word, that it would be God's message that you receive this morning. Continuing in our summer saunter through the Psalms, we come in due course this morning to Psalm 15. Again, a, a Psalm of David. And now the opening to a new series a new series of psalms revealing of mankind's revealing of our need of God's grace. As the wonderful readings that we have heard over the last several weeks from the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith, and isn't it marvelous, isn't it amazing that people way back then were so smart, even before the discoveries of modern science. I love these readings, and I think they are just a, a powerfully informative of an understanding and interpretation of God's Word. But through these, I believe we have been eloquently reminded of our need of a Savior, reminded of our own sinfulness, the need of God's forgiveness, and likewise reminded of God's bountiful grace in salvation to those who repent of sin and believe in Jesus Christ. Such was no less the case in the 11th century BC. Then, as now, sin held sway among men. Then, as now, the world was in need of God's word of God's revelation of His will. As we look to Psalm 15 this morning, we find once again King David confronted by people having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. It is likely that this psalm was written perhaps even to coincide with the occasion of David bringing the Ark of the Covenant of God into Jerusalem and there to a tent that he had built, he had prepared to uh, house, to be the tabernacle of, of the, the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant. And we see here that as the Ark was brought into Jerusalem that there began to be those sacrifices demanded by the, the Mosaic law, sacrifices, sacrifices being made there in Jerusalem. 
And there were, were crowds, there were crowds of people that were coming to Jerusalem and coming to the altar, to the place of sacrifice, bringing with them those prescribed offerings. However, these same people, after having come to the altar of God, returned to their daily lives with no thought for a holy life. They got their religion right. They had the cult. They did not have the ethic. Considering such, David turns to God with a question. How does one live who can truly expect to receive the blessing of living eternally with God. David writes this psalm, Psalm 15, David writes inspired by God's answer to this question. Reading then from Psalm 15. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the, in, in, the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. In that context of Jerusalem in the days of David, as God responds to David's question, as God responds to his prayer, it, it appears the answer is positive. There are, in fact, some who may anticipate God's blessings. There are, in fact, some who, those who, who walk blamelessly. One, uh, one translation uses the word integrity here. And I like the word integrity. I like the idea that those who have integrity, you can trust. For they are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. What they said yesterday will be the same as what they will say tomorrow. What they do each day is consistent, has integrity with that which they say. Their hand, their heart, and their tongue are all consistent and in continuity with one another. Those who walk blamelessly, those who have integrity, they are those whose lives without sin neither sins of the hands nor sins of the heart. They are those who have truth in their heart. 
those who have humility before God, understanding rightly a sinner, a sinner, but yet understanding that those that do not have this truth in their heart, those who do not carry this humility before God, have this this lie within themselves, who will not tell themselves truth about their sin. For you will certainly agree, sin is a great liar. Satan is a great liar. Our own hearts are great liars. For sin tells you, this is a great thrill. This is a a, a carnival ride of your life. This is the roller coaster that you want to ride. When in fact, that sin is walking blindly out into rush hour traffic. Sin is a liar. But the saint who will have the confidence of life in eternity with God, the saint is not only described by the positive attributes of this psalm, but also by obedience to the negative demands of God not telling false tales about others, not doing anything to hurt another, not carrying a grudge, does not respect those who are unworthy of respect, but respects those deserving of respect, does not go back on a promise, even when doing so is to his own disadvantage does not take advantage of others in financial transactions and is unwilling to receive money to do what is harmful to others. David writes what he sees. David writes of that which he sees so prevalent among these pilgrims coming to the sacrifice to the altar of God in Jerusalem. Perhaps he sees the priest who adheres rigorously to the rituals of the sacrifice, but full of his own self-righteousness, considers himself far above, far better than the unwashed masses. Perhaps he sees the Levite singing songs of praise to God, but who enjoys gossiping, telling sordid tales to his co-workers about members of other Levite courses. Or the, the lawyer who knows the scriptures by heart, but uses that knowledge to devise schemes that would excuse any action from the condemnation of God's word. The traveler, having traveled many miles to make sacrifice, but passes by the poor man at the gate with not so much as a nod, 
hiding his purse, hiding his money belt so that he might employ his sob story before every expense on his journey. And of course, the vendors of the sacrificial animals, sizing up every customer, perhaps even sizing them up that he might advise the highwaymen of which ones are worthy of their attention. David sees the failure of all of this among those entering and leaving the tabernacle of God, the tabernacle of God's presence. And David perceives that such as these cannot truly be acceptable to God. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. A high standard. Does anyone, can anyone, live up to such an ideal? David recognized that the, the effort was worth the goal. For one, fulfilling this demand would stand on the unshakable foundation of God's promises of life. God's promises of life with Him eternally. David knew that it was not the religious ritual that was going to please God. He has written, and what we have is Psalm 51, verse 16. David wrote, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with the bird offering. And so David was certainly aware that simply fulfilling the practice of the cult was not that which would please God. And certainly David recognized in himself that he was not living up to this ideal of God. Again, according to his own word in Psalm 51, he writes, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He continued in verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise. An acknowledgement that, that God is right and I'm not. God is truth. And I am not. Can anyone, is there any hope? Can anyone be saved? Does anyone make the grade? As we, as we all know in our hearts, and as God's word certainly 
states the answer in emphatic no. David was inspired to write in Psalm 14 that we've read again this morning, but the Apostle Paul was was later on likewise inspired to repeat in his letter to the Romans, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God, all have turned aside, together they have become worthless, no one does good, not even one. Who then can be saved? If no one is good enough, if no one fulfills God's demands in order to receive His blessing, is there no hope? I would say let's consider this great teacher of Nazareth in Israel. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. (laughs) And so the Apostle Paul was to write in Romans chapter 7, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hallelujah. With God, all things are possible. Even my salvation. (coughs) For God in His divine, sovereign will, knowing that the children of Adam and Eve who, as David wrote when he said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. All the offspring, all the descendants, all the children of Adam and Eve, sinners all, unworthy, unworthy of the holy presence of God. God yet chose to cleanse a people for Himself, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to seek and to save those who are lost. There is but one who is pleasing to God the Father, and that one is His only Son, Jesus Christ. We hear at his baptism, we hear the Father say, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And again on the Mount of Transfiguration, the voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son 
with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Sinless perfection is pleasing to God. But no child of man ever attains it. The purpose of God is fulfilled by the sacrifice of Christ as the propitiation for our sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. a transaction between God and man. He receives the consequences of our sin. We receive the consequences of his righteousness. By God's grace. All the requirements of Psalm 15 are met in Jesus. He is the one who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Only as we cast off our own self-righteousness and put on Jesus have we the hope to dwell with him upon his holy hill and from there, never be moved. How firm a foundation. Amen. Now as David looked out upon the pilgrims, the, the sacrifices, the cult being practiced there in accordance with the Mosaic law, considering Considering the religion of the day, asking God, I think, I think we should likewise consider the religion of the day. I think we should gather, we, can, we should consider those who we see gathering, gathering in places of worship today. As, as we are confronted by the very same situation as was David. We see those having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. What is the responsibility of God's elect? What is, the what is our responsibility toward such sham religion? In accordance with God's word, first of all, we must love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and all of our strength. And second only to this, we must love our neighbor as ourselves. And the good Samaritan is our neighbor. If I remember that account accurately, the man traveling down the road 
fell among thieves. The guy that was injured, the guy that was laying beside the road, beat unmercifully. And while it's not the point of the story, I'll grant you that, I think there's some room for despising the violence and the thievery that brought about this situation. We realize today that not everyone who defines, defines holy in the same way, not everyone who says Christian means the same thing, not everyone who speaks of church is consistent with what God means by church. Who is holy? Psalm 15 absolutely gives us a good foundation of holiness. And we see, as did David, that not everyone who goes to church is pleasing to God. Jesus affirms this truth, saying, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus told a parable that I've always heard it called the, the parable of the, the wheat and tares. Uh, I guess now it's the wheat and the weeds, which we always understood that tares were weeds. Just, we didn't have, well, um, but it's, it's a very insightful parable. For it talks about, Jesus tells the parable, he says, he says, the farmer, the good farmer planted his wheat and at night his enemy came and sowed weeds among his wheat. And when, it, when everything sprouted up, the, the, the farmer's uh, farmhands came to him and says, look, there's weeds out there amongst your, your, uh, your wheat. And the, the farmer says, ah, my enemy did this. The farmhand says, well, we'll go out in the field and we'll pull up the weeds and get them out of the wheat. And the farmer says, no, I don't do that. He says, you go out pulling up weeds, you're going to pull up the wheat too. But I tell you what, wait until the harvest time and we'll gather everything in and then we will separate the good wheat from the weeds. And of course, we will, we will keep the wheat, but we will burn the weeds in fire. And Jesus tells this parable in order to demonstrate that it is he who will make that determination. It is he who will make that decision. It is he who will judge the wheat and the weeds at harvest time in the day of the Lord, when he will sit upon the white throne. In this world, there is wheat and there is weeds. There is good and there is evil. There is that which is godly and that which is ungodly.
The family of God is an exclusive family. The family of God is an exclusive family. Very plainly, the scriptures say to us, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? lawlessness, Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Furthermore, we are enjoined to not even eat, not even sit at table with such a one. 1 Corinthians 5.11 But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reveler, drunkard, or swindler not even to eat with such a one. Romans or 1 Corinthians 15 do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor as is right and do not go on sinning for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. John Calvin leads us to the admonition of the prophet Isaiah who wrote, Woe to those who call good, call evil good and good evil, who put, dark, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. If you do not hear the context of our current culture in which we live today, in that warning from the prophet Isaiah, wake up. Take notice of what's going on around you. Likewise, Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul was inspired to speak to God's people, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not become partners with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfaithful works of darkness, but instead expose them. This is the word of the Lord. This is God's word for His people today. We have a responsibility we have a responsibility of obedience to God's Word that we would discern light from darkness, good from evil. And having this discernment, we have a responsibility to expose evil. 
having this to make known the truth, the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is life, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Going along to get along is unacceptable. The holy life of a true follower of Jesus Christ stands on a firm foundation of truth. Acquiescence is sin. Acquiescence to sin is sin. Acquiescence to evil is evil. Those who are pleasing to God are those who speak truth in their hearts. The nominal Christian carries a lie in his heart. Truth is what sets us free. The Apostle Paul writing to Timothy and thus through the ages to his church Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Hannes and Hambris opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, it was, as was that of these two men. This, this culture in which we live in which evil is called good and good is called evil. This, this world where, where we are required, required, but where we, we gave up, we, we, we allowed ourselves to be tolerant. We are now, it is now demanded that we be accepting and it is not far down the road that it will be demanded that we be included. But this is, this is a tragic world. This is a tragic culture. There's a tragedy, this tragedy of those who are struggling to attain the unattainable. 
convinced that the path to fulfillment is found in being someone they're not. When I was right out of high school, I had a, a great big Plymouth Fury, 1960 Plymouth Fury. It was a beautiful car. And it weighed about four tons. First time, first time I drove it down the road and tried to stop it, I, uh, I realized just how heavy it was. <laughs> had some friends with me. Uh, I had friends back in those days. And uh, we, were, we were driving around, got out, got out on a back road uh, in Florida. In Florida, we have a, a thing called sugar sand. And it's, um, it's very descriptive because it is like the finest, finest granule sand imaginable. And I'm driving this four-ton Plymouth Fury <coughs> out this country road, sugar sand. And we got out there, and we got that car stuck down to the axle. I'm here to tell you, it was in there. And this is... Uh, Florida, central Florida, in the summer, and it's hot. Lord, is it hot. And we are trying everything, everything that, that we could think of as stupid teenagers, no offense, in order to get that car unstuck. And what, no matter what we did, we were getting nowhere. In fact, many times, whatever we did, it just made it deeper. Goodness gracious was this frustrating. And it comes to the point where it is despair. What are we going to do? Hopeless. We're in the middle of nowhere with nothing but palmetto bushes around us and my car buried in sugar sand. And there's girls with us. I think that's descriptive of those in our world who are struggling. Struggling to be somebody they're not. Struggling to be somebody they're never going to be. A, a, a fantasy, a make-believe. And it's, it's got to be frustrating. There's got to be despair and, and hopelessness, just terrible, terrible sadness into this culture, into this world. We have the solution. We have the answer. Let's be sure that we fulfill our responsibility before God that we offer to these, these, this tragic people, that we offer them the truth of Jesus Christ, 
Getting the right guy elected is not the answer. Political social justice is but a half measure. It is Jesus Christ who has overcome the world. Life lived openly, forthrightly, in His name is the solid rock which can never be moved. Not everyone who David saw bringing sacrifices to the altar of God was pleasing to God. Every Christian is obliged to consider his own unworthiness and acknowledge that it is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, God's own Son, that pleases God the Father. Not everyone who shows up on Sunday morning is owning the blood of Christ as his righteousness. And all will be judged in the last day to God's glory. I have a great deal more to say, but I'm going to stop there. I've asked uh, Pastor Ben to read as the concluding reading this morning from Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, a rather lengthy reading, but, but I encourage you to, to give heed. Play, pay attention for Hebrews, this reading from Hebrews 10 will, will answer a lot of questions. It'll fill in a lot of blanks. It'll say a lot of what I haven't said. Hebrews 10, God's word for God's people in this day. Now may God's grace be upon you. In Jesus' name, amen.